0: well hey welcome to emmanuel my name is greg coble i am the franklin campus pastor and it's so good to be with you today Uh, my wife Catherine, and i we've been serving down in franklin for about six months and so i thought this would be a great time to give you a report on what's happening down at the franklin campus Uh, Just recently, we passed our six-month mark, as I said, and uh, things have been really exciting. As a matter of fact, our average attendance has been, at the six-month mark, 408 every weekend. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Yeah. We know that our regular attenders are investing in their friends and their family members who are far from God, and they're inviting them to come with them because in the first six months, we had 102 first-time guests, so that was fun. And then probably the biggest impact is the smallest number. In the first six months, we had 36 people tell us that they started a brand new relationship with Christ. You know, I give you a report like that, it's based on numbers. Uh, And the numbers are, are great, but you know, the numbers really just remind us that for every number, there's a name. And for every name, there's a story of someone who came into contact with the life changing message of the gospel. And that really is what we celebrate. And I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to be a part of what's happening in Franklin. Uh, for continuing to love and support and encourage us as we do ministry down there and we serve that community. Thank you so much uh, for allowing us to do that. Now we're going to get into uh, week two of our new series called Life Verse. And hopefully you were able to be here last week and hear Bill Miller, the Banta Campus pastor, talk about his life verse from Romans 8:28 and how it's provided encouragement for him over the years as he faced different trials, and, and he's been down and been through different things in his life. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, and watch Bill's message. I think you'll be glad you did. You'll be encouraged by it. If you weren't here last week, you may be wondering what is a life verse and why in the world do I need one? Well, very simply put, it's in your notes today, a life verse are just words from Scripture that seem to speak directly to you. Words from Scripture that seem to speak directly to you. Just like Bill said, they can be encouraging to you when you're down, they can be a challenge for you to change, they can point you back to what's important, they can provide hope, or contentment. One Christian writer wrote it this way, a life verse, your life verse can be your anchor in the stormy seas and your compass to direct you forward. An anchor in a stormy sea or a, a compass to direct you forward. Why do you think a life verse can do all of those things? Why can a life verse be encouraging, anchor you, point you in the right direction? It's a real simple principle. It's also in your notes today. A life verse can do all of these things because words are powerful. Words are powerful. Listen, we've known this for a long time. When we were kids, we used to stomp our foot at the bully in the play yard and we would say, I need your help here. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the biggest lie. I mean, we grew up and and we fire words at people. We hurt people with our words. We've been hurt with people's words. As a matter of fact, even today as I was getting ready to come to church, I went into the living room. I said, Kat, does this shirt make me look fat? She said, honey, I don't think you can blame it on the shirt. That hurt. That stung just a little bit. Words are powerful, words can hurt. But you know, just like words can be used to hurt people, words can be used for good. King David, in the book of Psalms, he wrote uh, to God, I have, re- I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, King David knew that uh, words were powerful and they were able to transform him. Uh, words could, could change the way he acted and reacted to things. They could change his thoughts and his behaviors. See, words are powerful. You know, the Bible uses lots of words to describe Jesus. Most of those are title of power, things like master and savior, king of kings, Lord of lords. But look at the way the Bible describes Jesus in the book of John. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It goes on to say in verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, that's a title of power for Jesus, the Word, because words are powerful. I wanted to give you guys a visual of how powerful words are today. And so I went to the place I keep all of my memories. I didn't go to some fancy memory box. I know some of you guys have those. I'm not a scrapbooker, so I didn't go to my volume of scrapbooks. I went to my dresser drawers because my dresser is the place where I keep all of my memories in the form of a t shirt, dozens of t shirts. This particular T-shirt, for example, this, this is a T-shirt from the Vic Travis School of Umpiring, Vic Travis Umpire School. In 1990, I went to the Vic Travis Umpire School. Yes, that was 26 years ago. Do not let that distract you. <laughs> in 1990, I went to the Vic Travis Umpire School, and I joined the Kentuckiana Baseball Umpires Association. And that year, in an association with high school umpires, college umpires, minor league umpires, I was voted Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the year, and I keep this t-shirt because when I see it, the words on it remind me of that, uh, that award, that accomplishment. How many of you are fans of the show uh, Fixer Upper on HGTV? Probably a lot of you. It's one of the most highest rated shows uh, on television today. Uh, recently, back in the spring, my wife Kat and, uh, and some friends of ours and my in-laws went down to Waco, Texas, and we went to the Magnolia Market and silos there, uh, but I didn't get this souvenir there. We love that show. But we went over to Clint Harp's shop. Clint is the uh, custom furniture maker for the show. And, uh, and Clint has a little shop in Waco, too. And before we went to Waco, we actually got on the internet and did a little research. And I found Clint's story. Listen, if you don't know Clint Harp's story, you need to go to the Google this afternoon, and you need to find out uh, what Clint went through. Clint was at the end of his rope. He was just about to give up on his hopes and dreams, but he didn't do it. And as a result of sticking to his plan and sticking with his hopes and dreams, he is now on one of the highest rated TV shows on North America. So I bought this shirt as a reminder to keep my hopes and dreams alive. And every time I see those words, I think it'll help me. And then there's this (laughs) T-shirt. Not the greatest, not the worst. This is a gift from uh, my friend Mikey Good. Mikey one of our worship leaders here at Emanuel. As a matter of fact, he's leading worship at the Banta Campus today. And Mikey got me this, sh- well, I'm not sure why Mikey got me that shirt, but, but the words on this shirt will definitely help me stay humble <laughs> as I pastor in Franklin. Now listen, I realized that I was on to something good. So not only did I look through my dresser drawers, I went to look through Kat's dresser drawers, and she was a little upset because she thought I might mess up her system. But I found some great memories in there as well. You see, when I first met Kat, somebody said to her, you look like you're in pretty good shape, are you a runner? And she said, only when something's chasing me. And, and I knew right then, that's the girl for me. She's a little sarcastic and she doesn't exercise. <laughs> but about three years ago, something snapped and Kat became a runner. She has a goal now of running a half marathon in all 50 states. But last fall, she decided she would run a full marathon. Now, she's run 11 half marathons, 11 different states, I should say, she'll have 13 by the end of the year. And uh, last November, she ran the Monumental Marathon. And this is her finisher's shirt from the Monumental. Uh, I was there because of our connection with the Monumental, I was able to be there at the finish line and put the medal around her neck when she crossed the finish line. And then I was able to kind of catch her as she collapsed there. But (laughs) I'm sure Kat will keep this shirt for a long time because the words on this shirt will remind her of that great accomplishment. Now this little guy, this one's fun. You may not be able to see the writing, but it says, I may be little, but to God I'm big stuff. And this is a great reminder because when I look at the words on this shirt, it reminds me that regardless of your stature or your place in life, that God is able to use you, he loves you, he cares for you, and, uh, and so I, I love the words on this shirt. And, and I just want to thank the Greenwood Campus student ministry pastor, Aaron Beasley, for letting me borrow one of his t-shirts. Really nice. I told you guys words are powerful. And this shirt, guys, it may be the best example of all. It only has two words on the shirt. As a matter of fact, it only has three letters and a symbol. But when I look at the words on this shirt, they're powerful to me. It says, he is greater than I. He is greater than I. I look at this shirt and I ask myself the question, is it true, is God really greater than I am? I mean, I know if, Of course, ultimately, God is greater than I am. I know he is. There's no question. But when I look back at my life and the choices that I've made, when I see the way I handled my money and my time and my resources, my relationships, my jobs, I see lots of times when I made decisions based on the fact that I thought I was the most important. I look back and I see the debt and the broken relationships, the regret, that show that I made decisions based on what I wanted, my comfort, my happiness, my wants, my desires. You see, I look back and I see that I made my plans based on what I wanted and not what God wanted. And I was frustrated at work, at a strained marriage, and I was living paycheck to paycheck. You guys might be able to, to relate to some of that today. If you, if you look at what you're, you're struggling with and you ask yourself, is God greater than I? I think you'll find something as I talked with some of my friends about this concept that we discovered. You see, as I was talking this idea through with some of the guys around here, I discovered this. The real root of all of our problems is our tendency to put too much importance on ourselves. You know who said that? C.S. Lewis, Dallas Willard? No, it was Bill Miller. Bill Miller, if he had waited just one more week, I would have quoted him here from the platform. That's what he wanted. And if you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to go watch last week's message. (laughs) You see, what Bill was trying to say here, at least what I think he was trying to say, was we look around us and we see what other people have, and we think, you know, they don't work any harder than I do. They're not any smarter than I am. So somehow we determine that we deserve what they have. And we take on too much debt to get what they've got. We look around and we evaluate the people at work and we say, you know what, they don't add as much value to the company as I do. They don't have the experience that I have. And then when their work gets recognized or rewarded, we get bitter and things go sideways. We may even start looking for a new job with a company that'll appreciate us more. We uh, start a new relationship, but we take our old baggage in with us. We're selfish. We expect the new person to cater to our wants and desires, and then all that does is just infuse friction and tension into the relationship, all because we put too much importance on ourselves. Now, wouldn't it be great if, just like King David, we could find some words from Scripture that would help us reprioritize our lives and our thinking Some words from scripture that would be powerful enough to transform us? Well, I did, and I'll share that with you in just a second. But before I do, I want to tell you about a character from the New Testament. His name is John the Baptist. John was the son of a temple priest whose name was Zechariah. And John, because he was born into this family, into this tribe that were dedicated to the priesthood, he would've been expected to follow in his father's footsteps and to become a temple priest. But God had something much bigger planned for John. So when he became a young man, he didn't go into the temple, he went out into the countryside to, to tell anybody who would listen that the Messiah was coming. And, and John started to gain some popularity and, and influence. Look at what Matthew says about John. In Matthew 3 5, it says, People from Jerusalem, from all of Judea, and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and to hear John. He was drawing big crowds. He had a group of guys who were identified as his disciples, and they would follow John around because they were dedicated to his teaching. John had so much popularity and influence that in the crowd, religious leaders would come. And a man of John's stature never had that happen. He he wasn't a priest. He was just a man out talking on the hillside. And here came religious leaders to listen to him speak. John even got the ear of one of the Roman kings. John had criticized King Herod for marrying his brother's wife. And that king listened to John. Again, that stuff was just unheard of. John had gained a lot of popularity and a lot of influence. He had guys who were following around, big crowds. But then look what happens. This is recorded in John 3. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. They go on to say, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John's disciples, these guys who were dedicated to his teaching, they came to John because John had baptized Jesus. And when John baptized Jesus, he saw with his own eyes that the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon Jesus. And it confirmed for John once and for all that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the son of God. When that happened, he knew that because the Messiah was now on the scene that his work was all but finished, but apparently the disciples didn't get the memo. They come to John complaining that they're losing their influence, their status with the crowds. I can almost hear the whining in their voice. Everybody's going to Jesus and nobody's coming to us. There was an emotion wrapped up in this this idea that nobody was coming. But John tries to redirect their attention. John tries to bring them back to what's important. John says to his disciples, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I've told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare, to prepare a way for him. And then John drops the bombshell on these guys. John does something nobody expects. You see, they've worked so hard to get the crowds to come. They've worked so hard to hone their message and to get it right. But John willingly steps back out of the spotlight and he says this He, Jesus, must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. He must become greater. I must become less. You see, John knew he had decided that he would never let his popularity, his influence, his success, or his pride stand in the way of Jesus having center stage, of Jesus taking the number one unchallenged, highest priority position. He is greater. I am less. And when I found this scripture, this scripture that's represented in these two words in this symbol, this symbol, it became my life verse. It became my life verse. You see, I hid it in my heart. I I had it written out and printed and put it on my wall. I even bought the t-shirt. Because this life verse has the power to transform the way I think, the way I act, the choices that I make. He is greater. I am less. You see, when I look at at my life, when I look back at the other things here, the places I've been, the people I've met, what I've accomplished, what I've done, I have a tendency to think that I could be pretty special. You know, think about it if you win the scholarship or you you win the company sales award or you you land the new job or the new account or you're asked to become a business partner and you become an owner or you get the big house or the big car or the big boat those are things that make us all feel a little special. But listen, when we take those things in our lives and we stack those up against John's life we can see that if anybody had an opportunity to think that they were special it was probably John. You see, before John was born, 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah prophesied his birth. Isaiah said, There will come someone in the future who will make a way for the Lord. So, for 700 years, the Jews had been waiting for Jesus, or for, for John to come on the scene and let them know that Jesus was the Messiah. God spoke through John the way he hadn't spoken through anyone for more than 400 years since the prophet Malachi. You look at the way John drew the crowds, the influence he had, and the experiences he had. And if anybody had a reason to feel like they had earned an elevated position, it was probably John. But you know what? John got it right. John had the right perspective. John decided that no matter what he did, he would point people to Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less. Wouldn't it be great, guys, if you could find the words of scripture that were powerful enough to speak into what it is you struggle with today? Is it your job, is it your finances, your relationship? If you made the decision once and for all that in your life God would become greater and you would be less, what will happen today if you decide God must become greater and you must become less? I think it'll transform your life and here's why. The first thing it would do is it would take the emotion out of your daily decisions. It'll take the emotion out of your daily decisions. You see, that's how John was able to watch the crowds go. John had lived his entire life knowing that his job was to pave the way for the Messiah. So when the crowd started going to Jesus, he didn't freak out like the disciples did. He didn't have all the emotions wrapped around his status and, and the crowds that were coming. He was able to say, It's okay. You see, when I look back at my life and I see all the times that I suffered consequences of a poor choice, it was because, just like the disciples, I was wrapped up in the emotions and the feelings that went along with that decision. And you know what? When you make a decision based on emotions and feelings, you're probably basing your decision on the wrong factors. And a decision that's made on the wrong factors will bring consequences every single time. But listen, when you decide he is going to be greater than I, he is greater than I, he must become greater, I must become less. When you make that decision, you reset your compass You reset your filter, your lens that you make decisions through. Every decision you make, you make through the question, does this make God greater? And when you make decisions through that filter, with that compass pointed in that direction, then you make decisions based on the right factors. And decisions that are based on right factors bring blessings into your life, not consequences. So when you make decisions without the emotion, you're going to make right decisions that bring blessings into your life. Another thing that will happen when you decide that he is greater and I am less, you'll be able to manage your future, you'll be able to manage your future. You see, John faced lots of obstacles as he went out to do ministry. John had to to, to overcome the obstacle of Jewish tradition. He was supposed to go to work in the temple, and he didn't. He had to overcome criticism. He had to overcome the threat of imprisonment. But he never wavered. He never took his eyes off of his purpose and his plan to make a way for the Lord. How many times do, do we make a commitment, we make a decision, we face a roadblock or an obstacle, And then it doesn't take long for us to forget why in the world we made that decision or that commitment in the first place. We start to look for ways to make changes. Maybe we're in a relationship that we start to struggle with so we go out and find somebody new. Maybe we're in a a job that, that we're frustrated in so we go out to try to find a new job. We make changes, but those changes that we're making are typically external changes. And external changes really don't have the power to change your future because they're only temporary. You see, what I realized here is when I made the decision that he would become greater and I would become less, then I was able to look at myself a little differently. You see, when I began, when I I realized that what I thought about myself was not true, I was more willing to change. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to say what Danny would say. Some of you need to write that down. (laughs) When I realized that I wasn't what I thought I was, I became more willing to change. See, when you make the decision that he is greater than I, you'll begin to focus on internal change. Because internal change is the kind of change that helps you grow personally. And when you're growing internally, when you're taking on personal growth, you begin to make changes that impact your future. Here's some of the things that I was open to when I became open to change. The first thing, I began to attend a small group. I did not want anything to do with small group. The wackos in small group, was they were not gonna get a hold of me because here's what I thought happened in a small group. I thought you went in and you divulged your deepest, darkest secrets and sins. You got a lot of pats on the back, maybe some group hugs, and then at the end of the night, you held hands and sang kumbaya. And I didn't want any part of that. I didn't want any part of that. But when I decided he is greater than I, then I opened up myself to what small group could be Cat and I joined a small group together, and what we found there was a group of people who were headed in the same direction. A bunch of people who were trying to make God greater and make themselves less. And as a result, they were there to support us, and encourage us, challenge us to change. It was in small group that I actually found the words of James, the brother of Jesus. He said, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you are a fool. Guys, when you decide that he is greater than I, you'll be willing to surround yourself with people who will support, encourage, and challenge you to make God greater and to make yourself less. The second thing I was open to when I I became open to change was was, um, handling my money a different way. You see, I had made a lot of foolish choices with money. If I began to tell you all of the things, all of the poor choices that I made with money, it would make your head spin but I found the words that Paul wrote in Romans 13. He said, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. I began to look at those words and I began to look for other words in scripture. I began to follow what God said about handling money. I began to apply those things to my life and in 40 months, I paid off all of my consumer debt nearly $100,000 in car loans, credit cards, and personal loans. It wasn't easy. People made fun of us along the way. Sometimes it was just plain hard, but we did it. And as a result, we changed our future. You see, we're able to give now like we've never given before, all because we sought information. I sought information I never had before, and I applied it to my life. And where did I get that information? I got it from the Bible, and that was another thing that I had never been open to before, but I started reading the Bible daily. You see, uh, when I decided that he is greater than I, I found the 15 to 20 minutes a day that it takes to go through the Bible. I've been in church all my life, I'd never read the Bible from cover to cover. But when I found the 15 to 20 minutes a day in my schedule to dedicate to reading the Bible through, I was able to read from Genesis to Revelation in one year. The best part was Kat and I did it together. We actually took turns reading to each other. And Guys, if you don't know what God's Word says about your identity as a child of God, about his plan and his purpose for your life, it can feel like you're always climbing uphill. But when you read God's Word, you may just find the words like we found, the words of Joshua in Joshua 1.8. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. You see, when I decided that he must become greater and I must become less, I began to seek the information that would help me face my challenges better, give me new tools for relating to my spouse, help me develop new habits as I handled my money, things that changed my future. And if you'll make that same decision, if you'll decide that God must become greater and you must become less, the same thing will happen in your life. You'll start making decisions that bring blessings instead of consequences. You'll be able to manage your future. The obstacles and the roadblocks, they won't distract you. And you'll engage in things like reading your Bible. You'll engage in things like applying what you read. And you'll begin to take on more of the character of Jesus. What are you struggling with today? Is it job, finances, relationships, kids, future... Wouldn't it be great if you could find a lifer, some words from God that were powerful enough to speak directly to you? How do we do it? How do we find our life verse? Four simple steps, it's in your handout today. First, you start with some questions. Number one, what do I need from God? What do I need from God? What is it that seems to be in short supply in my life when I need it most? Is it patience, kindness, self-control? What do I need from God? Number two, ask yourself, what are my strengths and passions? What are my strengths and passions? What makes me feel alive? What moves me, what motivates me? What are my strengths and passions? Number three, what themes will make a difference in my life? with the theme of love or compassion or strength make a difference in your life? Find three or four themes that you think may make a difference in your life, and then do an internet search for verses that match that theme, verses on compassion, scripture about strength, and then find some scripture that speaks to your heart and your desire for your relationship with God, and write those things down. Write those verses down, and then do step four. Don't miss this one, guys, it's critical. Pray over the verses you find. Pray over the verses you find, because God will use verses to speak directly to you, and your life verse will be the one that God allows, that God uses to bring new life into you. That's how you'll find your life verse. Listen. Ultimately, our goal as Christ followers is to take on the nature and the character and the attitude of Jesus Christ. So we have to know what that is. And these words in Philippians 2, they tell us that Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. It goes on to say, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, Jesus came to the earth as a human. He gave up his divine privileges. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was in the beginning with God. He was God, yet he laid all that aside. And he said, God, you're greater. Your ways are greater, and I want to be obedient to them. And he willingly gave his life on the cross. Now, why would he do that? Why in the world would he leave his home in heaven, give up his divine privileges, and submit himself to the cruelty of the cross. There's really only one reason, and that reason is you. Well, really two reasons, you and me. Because what Jesus knew was that that you and that I would make decisions that were selfish, We would make poor choices based on the fact that we had falsely elevated ourselves to a position that we were never intended to occupy. He knew that we would make choices based on the wrong factors, and they would have consequences, and all of those things are sin. They're sinful behaviors. And Jesus knew that sin would require a payment, a payment that we could never make on our own, a payment that we were unable to make on our own, and so he came to the earth, he lived a perfect and sinless life, he was obedient to God's plan, and he willingly gave himself as a once and for all sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. Now listen, I know that that that's not easy to understand. It's not easy to comprehend all of that stuff. But thankfully, we don't have to comprehend it all to begin a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. All we have to do is just acknowledge what Jesus did and accept that fact. And then we have to acknowledge to God that we're ready to, to let go of our sinful choices and our bad behaviors and our past. And we're willing to open our heart and our life to Him and begin a new life, making him greater and making ourselves less. And listen, if you've never had an opportunity to do that, I wanna give you an opportunity in just a second. See, in just a second I'm gonna ask us to close our our eyes and bow our heads and I'm gonna say a little prayer and if you'll repeat that prayer after me, you'll be able to begin a new relationship with Jesus. But listen, here's what I want you to know, There's no magic in this prayer. The power in this prayer is that the words you use are a real reflection of your heart, that you truly are willing to turn from your old ways, and you're willing to open your heart and your life to what God has ahead of you. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes, and if you want to start a new relationship with Jesus today. just. Repeat this prayer after me, just in the quietness of your own heart, just between you and God. Say, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life that he willingly gave for me as a payment for my sin. God, thank you for accepting me the way I am, but loving me too much, to let me stay that way. God, today I open my heart and my life to you. I turn from my old ways. I acknowledge that you are greater and that I am less. Give me the strength and the courage to step into this new spiritual journey with you regardless of where that takes me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, a few minutes ago, we looked into John 1, and we saw that, that Jesus was in the beginning with God. And here's what it says in verses 12 and 13. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, you've experienced that new birth. You are now a child of God. And we want to take just a second to celebrate that with you today. Let's celebrate that. And listen, there is no better way to learn about your new identity, your new relationship with God as a child of God than to read his word And This book is uh, something we would like to give you today. If you prayed that prayer, we want to give you one of these today. It is a one-year New Testament. It's a part of the Bible. It's broken into small readings of five minutes per day. In five minutes a day, if you read this book, you'll read through the entire New Testament in one year, and you'll learn about what God's plan and his purpose is for your life. If you prayed that prayer today, and if you'll go to one of our tables in the back of the auditorium and tell someone back there that you prayed the prayer, they'll put one of these in your hand. They would love to do that. And Listen, today and today only, for all the rest of you, we have a free gift. On the way out in the lobby on some tables or some cards like this, they have the cool Life Verse logo on one side. And on the other side are the four things we talked about for identifying your Life Verse. Take a couple of these with you today. Put one on your computer monitor at work. Tape one to your bathroom mirror or to your dashboard of your vehicle. And let this be a reminder to you this week and a, and a piece of encouragement that, uh, that reminds you to go and seek your own life verse this week. The words of God that'll speak directly to you. Guys, week three of life verse is gonna be great. Our old friend, Jeff Johnson, who used to be a weekend services director here, is coming all the way down from New York City. And he's gonna bring week three of life verse. You will not wanna miss that. So uh, be here next week to hear Jeff. Uh, Let's pray very quickly and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your love and your kindness toward us. Thank you for for a church that believes in the power of words. Father, help us to understand this week what it is that we need to do to make you greater, to make ourselves less. Father, help us to engage in the things that will truly help us transform. Help us to represent you well and to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, come back next week and bring a friend.